Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour, a ministry of Mission Go. I'm Brian Albrecht, the President Emeritus and Director of Canada's National Bible Hour, and we are trying to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And Canada's National Bible Hour is one of our ministries to share the good news of the gospel around the world. One of the great texts of the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What a great text that tells us as we live by faith, as we trust God and seek him first, put him first in our lives, allow him to be the Lord of our life, that he will not only be near and dear to us, but will also meet our needs. And so this week I trust that we'll put our faith and trust in him and him alone. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Mano Paul, who's a missionary from India, and uh, he's been with our ministry for many, many years. For about eight or nine years, he was in Belize, and Mano had a wonderful uh, medical ministry there, he and his wife, Shoba. But also they had a, a wonderful ministry as they, they travel from place to place as itinerant evangelists and Bible teachers. And today I'd like to ask Mano about those uh, opportunities. Mano, why don't you tell us, uh, first of all, about uh, the opportunities that you've had to go to the Mayan Indians and to minister to them spiritually. Thank you, Brian. Belize is a small country, but there are different ethnic groups, especially the natives. There are basically three main ethnic groups, the Mayans, the Yucatans, and also the Kichi. 
So I had the privilege of going and ministering in two different uh, uh, these ethnic churches. One is entirely Mayan and other is a mixture of uh, both Mayan and Kechi people. Uh, I used to go a Saturday morning to this uh, Mayan church in a place called Red Bank. It's almost like an outreach for our church in Independence where we used to live. And God has given me the privilege of preaching and teaching the word of God to those Mayan people. And there is one more village, Baya Vista, where there are a lot of both Kechis and Mayans. I used to preach in English and it was being translated into Spanish language by those Kechi people because that was common for them. In this place also, especially in a family, there were three brothers, they were fighting and they were not on talking terms. And God has really helped me somehow that these three brothers, the fellow who came to throw the stones at us, he just stood outside after listening to the word of God. He came weeping and he reconciled with his brothers. I really praise the Lord for this incident that happened. And I used to go every Wednesday to this place. And also there is one more village. This is entirely Spanish-speaking. People from Honduras, from Guatemala, they come to this village to work in those banana farms. I used to go every Thursday evening to a very big church. At least 200 uh, people used to worship in this church. And the Spanish-speaking pastor was so fond of me. And every Thursday I used to go and I used to preach there. Though I was in Belize, we had... God has really opened many doors for us to preach the word, share the experiences, what the Lord has, was teaching us with different brothers. And you were doing this all the while while you are doing um, medical clinics uh, through the daytime. So you kept yourself very, very busy while you were down there. Yeah, actually every, I mean, it was church for us every evening. So Monday to Sunday, every evening I used to be in some church or other and I really enjoyed and most of these villages are just around 20 kilometers from Independence. So uh, in the evening, it was easy for me to go and spend some time with them and come back. Sometimes Pastor Pish used to accompany me and sometimes I used to take uh, either Leon or Charles with me. It was wonderful time going with these brothers and uh, spending time with other brothers. Yes, you had a wonderful ministry there. It's just really uh, nice to hear hear how the Lord has led you down there. Now you're uh, back in India. Could you tell us about the ministry that you have uh, since you returned back to India? In fact, there was no need for us to go back to India, but somehow we wanted to go back because things were becoming more rough in India. And we thought it is better for us to really be with our own folks as they are going through difficulties. You must have heard about many un unfortunate incidents that were happening in India. So we went back. Basically, we went back to India to work among the medical students, young medical graduates in India to help them to really live for the Lord and also give them a challenge for the missions in India and even in the surrounding countries. So that's the reason why we went to India and we work among uh, the medical students. We have 50 medical schools in our state and we go to different medical schools. We teach them the word. We teach them what the Lord has taught us and help them to live for the Lord and also give them a challenge so that they can go to any mission hospitals. Most of the mission hospitals in India, which were started 50 years back, 100 years back, are almost on the verge of closure. Many are already closed down and we really want these Indian medical graduates take the challenge and be there. So you're trying to revive Christians to do medical and, and through the medical they're able to share their faith and then also to try to disciple people sort of like what you and Shoba have done most of your lives. Exactly. Because a physician is always a welcome guest in any culture, any community. So we thought 
Christian doctors are the best evangelists if they really want to be. So that's what we want to tell our friends. Yeah, we found that to be true too. We found that, that medicine always opens doors for the gospel. If you go and help people physically, then they're open to listen to you spiritually. And we've seen so many people come to Christ. And we've seen so many churches around the world started because of medical ministries, because people come to Christ, you gather them together, and then uh, you have a, a church. And, and God's able to disciple the people, and they're able to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Very, very wonderful to have you in our, our studio, Mano. We thank you so much for your commitment to the Lord. We thank you for your godly character. We thank you for the way the Lord has guided and directed you over the years. And we thank you so much for the open doors that you have and the way that you're so willing to to share the gospel and to help others to, to grow in their faith and to be uh, mighty warriors for the Lord. May the Lord bless. This month we would like to make available a booklet about prayer. Prayer is the answer. Is the title of the booklet for those who request one this month. This is a collection of 30 classic writings on prayer by three men whose writings have inspired Christians for generations. In this classic writing on the need for prayer and the power of prayer, we hear from John Wesley, Andrew Murray, and E.M. Bounds as they understood that prayer can be and should be an essential element of every Christian faith journey. Matthew 7, in verses 7 to 8 says ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. To order your copy, of the booklet Prayer is the Answer, please write to, Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7, or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. So
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning. I know the Lord will bless you as you listen to this wonderful, God-inspired message. Printed copies are available upon request. Listen to these inspired words to the prophet Isaiah. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. There shall come a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and shall grow out of his roots. That's a biblical reference to Jesus Christ. With righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. This is one of the numerous passages of Scripture which articulate the coming reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Like other passages which describe the circumstances and conditions of that future golden age, it emphasizes the drastic changes which will take place when Christ takes charge of the government of this earth. It underscores two things. First, it reminds us that God is going to settle all outstanding accounts. We see all around us today so many injustices and inequities like the psalmist of old, we resent the apparent success and prosperity of those who exploit others, and we're apt to conclude that honesty and decency do not pay, but rather the ungodly are the ones who prosper. Some actually become critical of God because he permits such conditions to exist. Why, they asked, does God not intervene? Now, such questions show how terribly short-sighted most of us are. God today is not enforcing equity or meting out justice. God today is withholding judgment while he extends mercy and offers forgiveness through his son Christ. You see, this is the age of God's grace, not judgment. And God restrains his intervention in judgment. The Bible says, be because he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But this does not mean that God condones or overlooks anything that is evil. Someday he'll make his last appeal. And then, as the Apostle Peter says, the day of the Lord, that is the day of Christ's return to take over the management of this world, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The hour will have arrived in which God will settle all outstanding accounts. In that day, those who have mistakenly concluded that they could get away with dishonesty and exploitation will find that God has a complete record of their conduct, and they will hear Christ say, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment, to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. The second thing Isaiah points out is that from the moment Christ takes management of this earth, a whole new order of social justice will be imposed. He describes the role of Christ as the sovereign head of that new world order in these words. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. You see, he knows things are not always what they appear to be. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. He knows what people say is not always the truth. The sovereign Christ, being God, will know the absolute truth concerning every matter. And so Isaiah goes on to say, with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And it shall be said in that day, Lord our God, we have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Ransom of the Lord shall come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know, in these days when so many people are troubled and depressed by the chaotic conditions we see on every side, it is important that men and women be aware that these conditions will not be permanent. There is a golden age ahead for this earth, an age when the social and economic and moral problems we face today will be no more. There is a day coming when this earth, which many now fear is running out of resources to sustain the human race, or facing nuclear devastation, or the danger of becoming uninhabitable by reason of environmental hazards, will once more be a veritable garden of Eden. What are now deserts and waste places, the Bible says, will blossom as a rose. Streams of life-giving fresh water will flow through what are now arid deserts. So great will be the productivity that the plowman will overtake the reaper. Today we're experiencing the failure of human management of this world with all our boasted knowledge and technology and human ingenuity, we have made a colossal mess as custodians 
of this earth's physical resources and of the management of human relations between individuals and nations. We're now surrounded by and threatened by the consequences of our failures as managers of the earth's resources and of human relationships. We're a race afflicted with a terminal illness, the root cause of which is the deadly virus of what the Bible calls sin that has not only alienated us from God, but destroyed our ability to control our own natures and successfully manage the earth on which we live. From a human standpoint, we have every reason to be concerned and fearful of what the ultimate consequences will be. But we should not assess the situation from a human standpoint alone. We're not here by blind chance or as the result of eons of biological evolution. We're creatures of divine creation made in the image of God continues to love us despite our rejection of him and of his son Jesus Christ and of the truth he's revealed for our good in the divinely inspired and therefore infallible scriptures. In that inerrant book he tells us that we can obtain personal eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and be spiritually reborn into the household and family of God. But more than that, he tells us that someday Jesus Christ is coming back to establish the kingdom of heaven on this earth. The kingdom of heaven will be a universal theocracy of which Christ will be the supreme head. And it'll last for a thousand years. That's why it's often referred to as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. When Christ was here before, he spoke at length about the kingdom he'll someday establish on this earth. You remember his forerunner, John the Baptist, made the theme of his preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There stands in your midst one whom ye know not. Jesus Christ is the Messiah the one foreordained to reign on this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. Repent, therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ himself went throughout Palestine preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Many of his parables were illustrations of what the conditions will be like in that kingdom. Many of them start with the expression, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this or like unto that. I ought to examine some of those parables with you in our future talks. If Israel would have recognized and acknowledged him as their promised Messiah, he would have established his kingdom then. But instead they rejected him and had him crucified as an impostor. And so the golden age of the kingdom of heaven on earth was deferred. And God also set Israel aside temporarily. And he turned to the Gentile world to call out of the Gentiles another people for his name, the church of Jesus Christ. 
when his church is completed, he will translate it out of this world to be forever with the Lord. The righteous judgment of God will then be poured out on the Christ-rejecting society left on earth when the church of Christ is removed. And when that judgment is consummated at Armageddon, Christ will return with his church and the long-promised kingdom of heaven on earth will at last become a reality. What a glorious, indescribable golden age that will be. I want to examine some of his characteristics with you in our next few broadcasts, God willing. Meanwhile, may I ask you to give some thought to the realism of that golden age to come? The kingdom of heaven is not a figurative expression. It will be a real, literal kingdom over which Christ himself will preside. Christ's headquarters in that age will be in the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 3.17 says, At that time shall they call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. There God will reestablish the throne of David, and from there is predicted before Christ was born, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Next week, God willing, we'll examine into what the Bible tells us about the physical and social and spiritual conditions on this earth. Once Christ's kingdom is established and once he takes over the management of the world. Some of the things the Bible tells us about that coming golden age will surprise you and alter your outlook on the world of today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As we conclude our time together today, let me remind you of one of the most important statements Christ ever made about his future kingdom on this earth. It was spoken during his conversation with Demas. This is what he said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A genuine new spiritual birth is the only way whereby men and women alienated from God by sin can become members of the household and family kingdom of God. A spiritual new birth is what God promises and assures to all who acknowledging their sinfulness and need of God's forgiveness receive his Son, Jesus Christ, into their lives to be their personal Savior and Lord. You cannot attain to a place in Christ's future kingdom of heaven by your own efforts or your own merits. The new spirit birth you must have to qualify comes from Jesus Christ and from him alone. The Bible says, This is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son of God hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
Have you the Son of God as your Savior, enthroned Him as the sovereign Lord of your life? If not, will you do so today as our invitation Him is sung? May God bless you. Remember to order your copy of the booklet Prayer is the Answer. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, on L2R7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongo.org. So we can share more information.